Pray the Bible. Be in the Scripture. This is where the mind of Christ is contained. And without this, your mind will not be renewed. In addition to that exposure, there must be a genuine effort to obey what you learn. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit does what you can't do. He renews your mind and begins to transform your character. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom concludes his current series with part eight of your only reasonable response to the gospel. As we've learned through this incredible study of Romans chapter 12, verses one through two, the gospel transforms every aspect of your life, from what you believe and how you think to your behavior and how you live day to day. Well, today, Tom will look at six implications of the Apostle Paul's command to believers to embrace the will of God. As you'll learn, this command begins with renewal. Instead of allowing the mindset of the age to push you into its mold, seek the Spirit of God to transform you by the renewing of your mind. Will you do so? What will be your reasonable response to the gospel? Let's join Tom now as we discover more from God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. You can identify a righteous person by his response to the Word of God. He delights in it, and he meditates in it day and night. That's what marks the truly righteous person. Now, here's the bottom line. Don't miss this. What the psalmist is saying, what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 12, what Paul says in Ephesians 4 is this. On every issue, you are either in lockstep with the Bible or with the spirit of the age. That's it. Those are the only two options. God says there's the way of the righteous, and that's the way of the Bible. In his law, he meditates day and night. He delights in the Word of God. And then there's the way of the wicked, the counsel of the ungodly, the wisdom of the world, in other words, everything else. Either you delight in the Scripture and meditate on it day and night, or you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. But how exactly, going back to both Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, how exactly does the Spirit use the Word to renew our minds? We've said it's the Word, but how? Scripture identifies two ways that the Spirit uses the Word to renew our minds. First of all, the Spirit uses the Scripture we learn and apply to change or renew the spirit of our minds. That's Ephesians 4.23. Secondly, the Spirit uses specifically what we learn about Christ to transform us into His image. And according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, Christ is the image of God. So to be transformed in the image of Christ is to be transformed in the image of God. This is taught in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to turn there with me. If this text is not familiar to you, you will want to mark it, memorize it, meditate on it, study it. It is absolutely key in understanding what the Christian life and experience is all about. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Now, the context here is Paul has been comparing the old covenant that came through Moses with the new covenant that comes with the ministry of Christ and the apostles. And he talks about the fact that 
in the Old Covenant, unfortunately, people didn't understand the truth. Their minds and hearts were blinded to the truth. That brings us to verse 18. But, on the other hand, we all, note that, what he's about to describe happens to every Christian. There are no exceptions. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this is happening to you. With unveiled face. Now, to get that reference, you have to go back a couple verses. Go back to verse 14. It's talking about the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the law, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. They don't get it. They don't understand it. They don't comprehend it spiritually, savingly, to their spiritual benefit. Verse 16, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, whenever there's repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the veil is taken away. In other words, when we come to Christ, we're no longer blinded to what the Scriptures teach. We get it. We understand it. So we all, every Christian, with unveiled face, that is now with a fresh capacity to understand the Word of God, notice, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Now here, Lord is a reference to Jesus Christ. He says, we're beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Let's stop there for a moment and ask the question, why mirror? What's that about? I think he uses this picture, this idea of a mirror for two reasons. First of all, to emphasize the careful examination with which we're to look at the Scripture. Before you came here this morning, likely, many of you, and those of you who didn't probably should have, you stopped by a mirror, and you looked in that mirror, why? To make sure you were presentable to actually be seen in public. And what did you do? Well, you likely got fairly close, and you looked at yourself carefully to make sure there wasn't something that needed to be dealt with before you came out in public. You carefully contemplated yourself in that mirror. That's the idea behind this expression. When we look in the Scripture, we carefully study and contemplate what we see of the glory of Christ in the same way that we carefully examine ourselves in a mirror. But I think there's another idea behind this mirror picture. I think it's also intended to remind us that when we study the Scripture, we don't see God. We see His reflection in this book. God isn't here. He doesn't live between the pages of this book. This is His Word. It's, it's infallible, inerrant. It's perfectly true. It is a perfect reflection of God, but it is, after all, not God but His reflection. You're looking at God. When you look at the Bible, it's as if you're not looking at God in His face. You're looking at His reflection, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Oh, by the way, I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 says, For now, in, in this time period, we see in a mirror dimly. We, we look at God like we're looking at His reflection in a mirror. We, we don't get to see His face. And then he adds, but then, face to face. Right now, you look at God, you look at His reflection in the mirror of His Word. But one day, you, you'll see His face. You'll see His glory in person. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, then He adds this, we are being transformed into the same image. 
Literally, the Greek text says we are being metamorphosized, same Greek word, into an icon of his glorious moral character is the idea. The same image doesn't mean like you're going to look like Jesus. Now, you know, Philippians 3 tells us, Philippians 2 tells us that you are going to someday get a body like Jesus' own glorified body. But you're not, your face isn't going to look like Jesus' face. We're not going to be looking around heaven trying to figure out who's who because we all look exactly alike. That's not the idea of his image. When it says in, into the same image, it's talking about your moral character. We are being transformed into the moral character of Jesus Christ. Do you understand, Christian, that that's happening now and someday? You're going to be you. You're going to look like you in a glorified body, like Jesus' glorified body. You're going to look like you, though, and not like him in that way. But your moral character is going to look exactly like him. That's what it means to be changed into his image. You will think and act and behave the way Jesus does. So, that's this transformation. And notice, it says we are being transformed in that image. You know, again, Christian hypocrites, that is those who claim to be Christians but really aren't, they try to live like Christians, but they're not inside what they pretend to be. Real Christians truly are what they appear to be because their behavior actually just reflects what's on the inside. This is another test for you. This morning, is the way you present yourself to others in your Christianity, is that a reflection of who you really are, or is it just pretend? If it's just pretend, then you're a pretend Christian. Christians have been changed. We are being changed. It's the difference between tying apples to an oak tree and an apple tree that actually produces apples because it's that kind of tree. If you're a real Christian, you are gradually like Jesus Christ inside. You are, ref you are gradually reflecting his moral character, not perfectly, but if, if you're like me, you can look back over your Christian life and you can say, you know, I, I am not satisfied with where I am. There are many things in me that don't yet resemble Jesus Christ, but I can see areas in my life where I have changed to be more like him. He has been doing that transforming work in my life. Notice we are being transformed into the same image, verse 18, from glory to glory. That is from one level of glory to another. This change in us is a gradual process. And notice how it happens, just as from the Lord the Spirit. It is the Spirit who accomplishes this gradual renewal of our minds that produces a transformation, a metamorphosis into the very moral character of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit uses our contemplation of the glory of Jesus Christ in Scripture to change us into the same image. And again, as I said, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the, that Christ is the image of God. So to be changed into Jesus' image is to be changed into the image of God. We begin to have the same moral character. We begin to think about everything the way Jesus thinks about everything. That's why 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 says that in this book we have the mind of Christ. The more you're in this book, the more you begin to think like Jesus thinks because this is his mind. It reflects what he thinks, and you begin to act like Christ would act. Now, why is this transformation important? Christian, it's ultimately why God saved you. You remember Romans chapter 8, verse 29? 
It says, those whom God foreknew, that is, those whom God predetermined to have a relationship with, he also predestined, that is, he predetermined our destiny to become conformed to the image of his Son. God saved you to be like Jesus. Why? Listen to Romans 8, 29 again. So that Jesus would be the firstborn that is the preeminent one, the primary one, the exalted one among many brothers. In other words, God saved you so that you would become a reflection, ultimately perfectly a reflection of Jesus' moral character so that forever by how you are and how you think and how you live, you reflect the glory of Jesus Christ and bring glory to him. That's why God saved you. Now, with all of that, turn back to our text. Turn back to Romans chapter 12 because Paul explains what happens when the Spirit renews our minds with the Word of God. Notice the result, the end of verse 2, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. The word prove, as, as it's used here, according to the leading Greek lexicon, means this, as a result of careful examination you discover that something is proven, or you accept something is proven. So you you examine it, and you you discover, wow, it is proven. In other words, when the Spirit renews our minds with the Word of God, we discover by experience the value of the will of God. Now, as soon as I say the will of God, I I need to give a caveat, because immediately some of you are thinking, like I was brought up to think, when I hear the expression, will of God, I'm thinking, okay, who do I marry? What, what color car do I buy? Where do I live? That's not the kind of will of God this is talking about. Here, it's God's will in the sense of His revealed will in His Word, just like we saw in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's, it's the Scripture. That's the transforming agent. God's will as revealed in His Word. So how do we approve God's will as revealed in His Word? By approving God's will, what the writer means is that we will understand it, we will totally and fully agree with it, and we'll seek to obey it. We, we discover that it's, it's God's will, it's, his, it's good. And when we do that, notice, when we approve God's will, we discover God's will in His Word is good. It's good. That is, it's beneficial for us. That isn't how we always thought. You go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 7, and you discover that the natural man actually hates God's Word. Why? Because he sees it as keeping him from what is good. You know, you, when you got saved, maybe you went and told your friends, you know, I, I came to believe in Jesus Christ. I trusted in Christ as my Savior and Lord. And what was the normal response? It was, oh, well, good for you. You know, you're not going to go and get religious on us, are you? What do they mean by that? They meant you're not about like to lose all the fun in your life, are you? You're not like going to cut out all the good stuff now, are you? Why? Because that's how they see it. Unbelievers look at God's will and His Word and say, bad. And they look at everything else they want to do and they say, good. But when you become a Christian and the Holy Spirit begins His work, exactly the opposite happens. You begin looking at what the world wants you to do, and your immediate response is, I hate those things. I don't want to do that anymore. And your response to God's Word is, good. It's good. It's beneficial. I see that. And 
It, it's the affirmation of, of 1 John 5, 3. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are what? Not burdensome. You don't look at God's commands and go, bad. That's keeping me from all the fun I want to do. No, it's, it's good. It's beneficial. And it's acceptable. That is, it's pleasing. And many will say here that means pleasing to God. Well, that's obvious. God's Word is pleasing to God. I don't think that's what he means here, though. I think in keeping with the rest of these, he's saying it's pleasing to us. We not only discover that God's Word is good, but it is delightful. It pleases us. Remember Psalm 1-2? But his delight is in the law of God, and in his law he meditates day and night. And we discover that it's perfect. God's will is perfect. Why? Because it's the perfect reflection of God's own perfection, and we are being changed into that same image. Like Matthew 5, 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's what the Scripture is doing to us. It's conforming us to His image. It's perfect. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim Him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man, what? Perfect in Christ, complete in Christ. So instead of allowing the mindset of the age to push you into its mold, Paul says, allow the Spirit of God to transform you by the renewing of your mind. Then you will discover by experience that God's will, as it's revealed in His Word, is good for you. It is a delight to your soul, and it is absolutely perfect. It's exactly what you need. What are the implications of this positive command to embrace the will of God? Let me just give you several quickly for you to consider. Number one, how you think is a test of whether or not you're a Christian. How you think is a test of whether or not you're a Christian. It's not not about what you do. It's what goes on in your mind. How do you think about things? Back in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, Paul says that the person who is still in the flesh, that is a person who's an unbeliever, has his mind set on the flesh. He's all tied up in all the stuff of this world. Much of it sinful, some of it not. Just anything but God and the things that matter to God. If that's where your mind is, if that's how you think, then you're not in Christ. Because believers, that same passage says, have their mind set on the things of the Spirit. What are the things of the Spirit? It's His Word. It's just like Psalm 1. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law He meditates day and night. Listen, if you don't care about the Bible, if this thing gets dusty between, between Sundays, you need to seriously investigate the reality of your faith because the Holy Spirit, if He's in us, produces an appetite for this book. To keep from being conformed to the thinking of this age is to embrace God's will. You see, you've only got two choices. If you don't come and discover God's will and God's Word and pattern and shape your thinking after it, you will be shaped by the age in which you live. Those are the only two options. As I said before, there are no independent thinkers. You're not going to be the exception. Every thought, every idea, every philosophy that has moral overtones ultimately traces back to either God or Satan. There's no neutral territory. John Stott writes, these two value systems… This age and God's will 
are incompatible, even in direct collision with one another, whether we are thinking about the purpose and meaning of life or how to measure greatness or how to respond to evil, about ambition, sex, honesty, money, community, religion, or anything else, the two sets of standards diverge so completely that there is no possibility of compromise. In fact, I will say this, if you haven't decided that God's will is going to shape your thinking, then you have made a de facto choice to be shaped by the thinking of your age. The Spirit alone can renew your mind. This is not something you can do. You can't change your inherent thinking so that it changes your moral character. You, can't, you don't have the capacity to do that. Only the Spirit of God can do that. God's not asking you to add Christianity to, you know, your list of likes. Christianity isn't about affirming something solely. It is about being radically changed on the inside by the Spirit of God. And if you haven't been changed by God's Spirit, if you haven't experienced the new birth where these things have begun to change and what you love and what you hate has changed and what you have an appetite for has changed and you don't have an appetite for the Scriptures, then you're not a regenerate person because where the Spirit is, He produces those changes. Where there is true spiritual life, there will be signs of spiritual life. Not perfectly, but that'll be the direction of your life. Number four, the renewal of your mind with Scripture is absolutely crucial in the process of progressive sanctification. In fact, it is the renewing of your mind that ultimately distinguishes biblical sanctification from behavior modification, which unbelievers do every day. I would put it this boldly. If you are struggling with a sin in your life, your greatest problem is not that behavior. Your real problems are your thinking and your character. That's where you need to be transformed. That's why this process is so important. Number five, your mind is renewed by learning, understanding, and applying God's revealed will in Scripture. This is how your mind's renewed. It's the only way, by understanding and applying the Scripture. There are three stages, by the way, in that transformation. I don't have time to show you these and to prove them to you, but let me just throw these out for you to think about. There are three stages in this transformation. First of all, you have to understand the truth with your mind. You can't be renewed with something you don't understand. So you have to understand and grasp the truth with your mind. Secondly, as you understand and meditate on that truth, that truth begins to change your affections. That is what you desire, what you delight in. And then thirdly, your now transformed affections will produce a gradual change in your will. You will start making different choices because your affections have been changed. That's the process. Number six, our primary roles, your primary roles in this renewal are twofold. First of all, consistent exposure to the Word of God. Listen, you can't be renewed by what you don't know. You have to be in the Word of God. Psalm 1-2, in His law, He meditates day and night. Read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, listen to the Bible taught, pray the Bible, be in the Scripture. This is where the mind of Christ is contained. And without this, your mind will not be renewed. And secondly, in addition to that exposure, there must be a genuine effort to obey what you learn. In other words, you make a sincere effort to, to obey. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit does what you can't do. He renews your mind and begins to transform your character. 
Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because of the mercies of God that you have experienced in the gospel, present your body to God as a living sacrifice and present your mind to God. And that means you must reject the thinking of your age and you must embrace the will of God in His Word. May God help all of us to follow this profound admonition. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that concludes our current series, Your Only Reasonable Response to the Gospel. Tom will begin a new series on our next broadcast as he once again takes us to God's Word. And Tom, when anyone responds to the gospel, that does not mean they have to live their life on an island, does it? There are resources available to help them, yes? That's right, Bill. There's so many resources available to us today. You know, we need to give ourselves to the Lord, body and mind, and we need to pursue a knowledge of His will, and we can do so through His Word. I would encourage you to pursue those resources that feed your soul. You can do so here on KCBI. Come to the Word Unleashed website, and there are other resources there that can help strengthen you in your faith. But in the end, you need to be diligent about pursuing a transformed mind, transformed through the Word of God, where you learn the perfect will of God. May God enable you to do so. That's my prayer for you and for me. Thanks, Tom. And friend, the Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening. The Word Unleashed exists because God, in His Word, has given you every spiritual resource you need to grow in Jesus Christ. It's our prayer that the power of God's Word be unleashed in your life.